Welcome to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. Uh, just recently I saw a uh, promotion for a new um, video uh, movie on um, creation and it's called um, Dismantling Darwin. And the scientists that speak on this uh, particular new DVD that uh, is coming out uh, have a, a range of very high qualifications relevant to um you know, sort of uh, geology and biology and so forth. And I was interested that one of the speakers actually earned his uh, doctorate in um, an area related to biochemistry in the Harvard uh, Harvard Medical School. And it was in an area related to evolutionary uh, biochemistry as well, as interpreted... Uh, uh, you know, for, for medicine and so forth. But as I was, uh, you know, I looked, Googled this um, scientist's name, it was very interesting that some of the anti-creation um, groups also had uh, some comment about this scientist. Uh, and one of the things that, what, uh, that they were mentioning was, well, how can it be that this uh, this particular person can earn his doctorate from Harvard University, one of the top universities in the world, in the area of you know, evolutionary biochemistry, and yet he's a creationist. And they're saying, you know, he must have snuck in. There's you know, something uh, going on. But when I um, again looked down the list, again, this was on an anti-creationist, um, creation website, I think it was called Rational Wiki, and it was on uh, scientists who believe in creation. And when you look down their list, so this is the people who um, are very much against creation, they're very, very strong evolutionists, um, and on their list of scientists that they recognise uh, believe in uh, creation were some, you know, quite eminent uh, professors, some professors of biochemistry and uh, biology and and this sort of thing. And one of the things that I found surprising was that these people were surprised that a, you know, a person who believed in creation could, you know, have such high qualifications. Well, of course, there are, there are quite a number of scientists <laughs> that are top researchers and professors and they believe in creation. One of the things, though, that we need to recognise is that for a creationist working in this field of uh, evolutionary uh, biochemistry and sort of thing, it would be very difficult to get a research paper published supporting creation. And so often we hear the 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 claim by people who want to uh, you know detract from um, those uh, people who are writing um, or detract the evidence of those people writing, uh, supporting evidence for creation by, you know, they often raise the, uh, the, the claim, look, you know, if there was so much evidence for creation, you know, just publish it in a, uh, in a scientific journal. The problem that we have now, and we've had for at least 10 years, probably closer to, you know, 15 years now, is that would be virtually impossible to get a, a research paper published. In, in other words, 
the peer review system would automatically eliminate that paper. I think I've talked before about uh, a case where um, a team of about 12 uh, scientists, uh, mostly from Europe, uh, published a a paper where they um, dated dinosaur uh, remains, uh, carbon dated dinosaur remains, and they all came out around the you know, 25, 30,000 year mark, and they found carbon-14 in these dinosaur remains. And that paper was presented at a conference, but immediately after the conference, the record of that paper was removed from the conference proceedings once the organisers realised, whoa, hang on, you know, we didn't... Um, Realised that these uh, folk were going to present this this evidence, and uh, the paper was accepted because the title was just on you know day, dating dinosaur remains. But when they realised, whoa, this you know this paper um, sort of really supports the biblical position of a much younger Earth uh, and dinosaurs living only thousands of years ago then um, there was this effort to immediately remove it. So this is, this is very important, you know, it's a very important point to understand that we have this massive evidence for creation, but we can't get it out there in the uh, regular science journals. And I think this was the point that was being made by these people about this creationist um, scientist um, who's a speaker on this new um, video, Dismantling Darwin, had earned his PhD from uh, you know Harvard and right in this area of biochemistry related to evolution. And you know how could um, he get it published? Well, of course, he published these, his findings and his data, and obviously they weren't that what his findings weren't in a you know controversial. Um, area related to dating as such. So this is the you know the climate that we're in in now, unfortunately in in science. And in one of the uh, recent uh, creation magazines uh, um, that I get, it's um, and I would really recommend to uh, listeners that this is a really uh, tremendous. Uh, magazine to get. It's simply called Creation. You can uh, subscribe to it at creation.com. So just Google creation.com and uh, look. Um, And of course, uh, a lot of the um, articles you can get electronic copy or you can get it uh, physically uh, sent out to you. And uh, it's interesting, in the little newsletter that came um, in uh, one of the um, recent creation.com mysteries magazines pointing out that some of the really crazy laws that are being introduced in the um, in the West, particularly with relation to gender and um, animal rights, all these sort of things, is um, essentially because people have... Um, no longer believe that God created life on earth, that God created us, that we are really special and unique and that a lot of the um, problems that we see in terms of disease and so forth are a result of, of sin and the the curse that resulted from 
disobedience from evil uh, coming in. And, of course, the Bible explains that in a beautiful way. Um, in Genesis, uh, the first book of the Bible, what uh, happened there. And the overwhelming evidence uh, for the Bible is just you know, continually uh, accumulating. But in uh, the recent issue, uh, an article that really uh, grabbed my attention was by Matthew uh, Sertati and uh, Lita Kostner, and it was, um, it was actually called The Wonderfully Designed Cell Cycle. And I thought um, this is something, this is an area really that uh, perhaps many of us that, um, and particularly folk that um, haven't studied biology in detail, uh, realise that the, the, our body is made up of cells and these cells, and we talk about these cells, they're, they're tiny little components of, um, of all this. We have bone cells, we have brain cells, liver cells, skin cells, all these sort of cells. But all the, um, the cells in our body um, and how they grow, how they sort of reproduce and divide um, is, is an amazing system. And, of course, evolutionists have to believe that this system arose by pure chance. But I think when you, when you look at it and, and look at the cycles that involve, particularly the cell cycle, it has to work like clockwork, um, it's powerful evidence for a creator. Matter of fact, the cell cycle is one of the most important biological processes. It, it essentially describes how cells multiply um, and um, they multiply in number and they actually duplicate all the information in the parent cell is duplicated before dividing into two daughter cells. Now, it's estimated that there's over 10 trillion cells in the human body. So remember that a billion is a thousand million and a trillion is a thousand billion. So it's sort of like a million million cells in the human body and each cell cycle has to work very efficiently um, and it differentiates all the different types of tissues like I said you know we have you know skin tissues but even inside when we think of skin it's there are all these different layers in our skin and then and these require all different types of cell types and the same on our bone we talk about loosely bone cells but you think of the, uh, particularly, say, a joint cell, like in a knee or elbow or finger knuckle, where you have the basic bone structure. But then on the surface of these joints, there are amazing all different types of cells that allow for the uh, movement of the cell and l- uh, lubrication and slipping and um, hardness so they don't wear and so forth. Um, well, of course, unfortunately, they do um, sometimes um, wear with the overuse and abuse and this sort of thing. But they're all designed um, to be um, the services repair and to replenish. But they all involve all different types of cells. And then we have all the different types, you know, your fingernails, your hair, your tongue. Um, and, you know, as I said, the liver, heart, spleen, pancreas, all these different Organs in our body involve a multitude of all different types of cells that make up their structure. Now, it's interesting, of course, evolutionists admit that 
The origin of the first cell is one of the most difficult problems for this theory, and this is because, I mean, the first cell had to include a fantastic amount of stored information in the DNA code. And the DNA code, of course, is just a series of particular chemical structures that are arranged uh, in order, but it's arranged so that it encodes information as a language that can be read by the ribosome and used to construct it. So we have this whole concept of language appears right in the most, you know, if, if evolution occurred, it would have to have occurred right in the very, very first cell that formed that began to duplicate. And a huge amount of complex information had to be there and in a language. And so we know that languages require intelligence and also they require languages form a communication and the knowledge about the language or the code, the language is like a code, it's the same thing, you have to, the person who writes the code has to know the code and the person who reads the code has to know the code. And I, and I can remember as a teenage boy having a lot of fun making codes. I was very interested in codes and codes that were used during the war and all this sort of thing and different types of codes and making up different types of codes. And I remember with my mates, we used to make up different types of codes so we could send messages to one another, write little notes and send them and no one else could read them. And um, it was certainly a lot of fun. And But to think that it's an extremely complex code has to be in that first cell right back at the early stages of, of evolution. And so here again, this is a major problem for evolutionary theory. But it's not for creationists because from a creation point of view, we know that the code and the DNA code is obviously supernatural. I mean, we scientists today still can't write new code that is going to work to make a new type of organ. You know, so the evidence for creation, the evidence for a supernatural origin of life is just overwhelming. And um, also... In a cell, and in the first cell, there are, it has to have a substantial number of complex molecular machines to maintain the cell, to produce energy and more. And I talked about these just recently, some of these just recently, the ATP, a uh, little mini motor, for example. And the cell cycle is present in all different life forms, you know, from bacteria through to, to humans. And the, one of the fascinating things is that the cell is part of the design element of living organisms. In other words, it carries the codes and all these different types of cells make up what constitutes all the different parts of all the different animals, plants, bacteria and so forth. So all the different parts of us, of plants, fish, animals, depend on having all these different types of cells that then have to duplicate as the animal goes and then at a particular time stop so that we just don't keep growing all the time, particularly, you know, in mammals, that is. Some things like plants do just keep growing to a degree. And so, so and the cell division process is really an elegant process and it, it's really precisely fine-tuned and it's regulated by dozens of proteins. So these are special chemicals, they're proteins, again, all encoded for in the DNA code 
are made, and these particular proteins precisely regulate this duplication process because if mutations interrupt this process, they result in uncontrolled cell division then often causes cancer to develop. And so animals get cancer. There's evidence, I think, that dinosaurs got cancer as well. So, or similar things. So the similar disease function can occur there. Now, the cell cycle um, has a number of different um, stages. If we think of the um, the, the cell has this uh, beginning stage. So this is just after the parent has divided into two cells, into the two daughter cells. And so one of these daughter cells start, and that's the the uh, the gap stage or um, the gap zero stage, and it during this stage um, that's when it, it starts. It then moves into the what we call the, the gap one phase or the G one phase, where it, the cell itself then is taking in food and it's accumulating energy or taking in nutrients, so perhaps is a better way of putting it, and it accumulates the building blocks and energy needed for replicating its DNA. And it also increases in size so that when the cell divides, each daughter cell has enough ingredients to then survive. So what happens is this cell, it's in a rest state and it increases protein production. And then it begins to duplicate um, the DNA or the chromosomes that are involved then. And um, the uh, DNA duplication is phase where uh, this is called the S phase. And now this is so that um, each daughter cell receives the same genetic material as the parent. Now during this... um, uh, part molecular machines actually repair the DNA. So during the um, duplication of DNA, um, errors can occur, but these are checked. It's amazing. Little molecular machines check so as to minimise the likelihood of new mutations being passed on to the daughter cells. Now, this should ring. Uh, you know, red lights to the theory of evolution, to those people that believe in the theory of evolution. Because here we have this distinct mechanism that is there to protect against mutations causing something new to develop. But yet the whole theory of evolution depends on mutations developing that are meaningful to produce some new body part. So that means you have to have mutations in all the different types of cells that are required in that new body part. Now, say, for example, a new body part is a horn um, or or a leg. Say it's a a fish and has to make a leg. We know that a leg contains a whole lot of different parts, right? You've got the bony structure, you've got the skin covering, you've got the tendons, you've got the muscles, you've got all the blood vessels, all this sort of thing. Now, all these different parts are made up of all different types of cells. So what has to happen for a new working part to arise? You have to have mutations in cells that produce the new cells that make up the new tendon that make up the new um, 
skin surface, the new bone structure and the new surfaces on the different joints and the you know, hinge material, all the different parts require all new cells all at the same time for it to work. So you've, you've got to have a mutation to produce a new type of cell that is programmed to arrange itself in a new type of structure that works, that you know physically works and makes sense in terms of functionality, of all these different types of cells all at the same time. And I think you know we can see that that's why evolution doesn't occur. That's why no one has actually observed evolution occurring. And um, because the likelihood of this happening is very low. And secondly, when it does happen, it doesn't usually produce a new part. It produces disease. Now, during the um, G2 um, phase or another gap phase, the... Um, it enters into the mitosis phase when the DNA is packaged into what will become the two daughter cells. And um, it's during this um, um, phase, this mitosis phase, the M phase, that the chromosomes um, form these tightly packed up coils of DNA form, particularly in higher organisms. And they, in higher organisms, they take up that characteristic little dual sausage shape uh, look. Now, as a final step, additional proteins, special proteins, divide the cell in two and they finish the cell cycle. And certain proteins, called cyclins, are responsible for regulating the progress of the cell cycle. So um, what happens is that um, you have uh, at mitosis, the cyclin concentration increases, then after mitosis it drops right down and then you have a, an interphase uh, situation where the cyclin concentration slowly builds up again and then you have mitosis occurring and so forth. And so the concentrations of these um, particular chemicals regulate this process of cell division. And of course, these particular chemicals are all encoded for in the DNA. You know, it's a hugely complex uh, system. And, um, and so these cyclin levels, as it rises and falls, this turns off the cell activity of dividing. But there's also a, um, a checkpoint between the, um, the G1 phase and the DNA synthesis phase. And there's another checkpoint between the G2 and the mitosis phase where the contents of the cell in these phases are double-checked to make sure they're ready to enter the, the next phase because without such checking, the cell cycle could more easily uh, lead to uh, cancer. There's a very, very interesting paper on this. It was published in Nature back in 2004. It's a few years ago now. It's by Kasten and Bartek, um, and it's on cell cycle checkpoints and cancer. So that was published in Nature um, in 2004. It's volume 432, pages 316 to 23, uh, to, uh, 323. Really, really interesting article. But again, this whole concept of checkpoints leads to intelligent design. You know, to me, this is just overwhelming evidence of intelligent design behind this cell cycle with all these check 
mechanisms. Um, mechanisms checking no errors in the DNA or and of course sometimes the checking mechanism does let some errors through and that's when we get bad things happening. That's when we do get mutations happening. But those mutations usually lead to cancer. And one of the reasons for this is it's sort of like if we look at um, the gene copying machinery that sometimes can make a mistake and that's what leads to mutations. And so if mutations occur in the genes involved in the cell cycle themselves, this can lead to cancer. Because there's two basic types of genes in, that are play an important role in this, and one of the oncogenes, or the cancer-causing genes, uh, these were the genes that cause the cells to grow very rapidly, and, um, and if they are mutated, they can be turned on to a constant uh, on state so that the cell constantly keeps dividing, and that's what leads to cancer. So you don't you don't have this regulation by the cyclin um, um, uh, compounds there. Um, now and of course the other one is the there are uh, tumor suppressor genes, and so there are special uh, genes and um, uh, slow these slow down the cell cycle and. Pre- prevent it from going onwards. And so they act on little bra- little breaks on the cell cycles. But again, if these genes get mutation, they mutated, they can lose their function and be turned to a constant off state. So in other words, they don't regulate and slow down the cell division. And again, this can lead to uh, cancer. So we can see the cell cycle is a classic example of an irreducibly complex system. You know, and if a single protein were missing from the cell cycle, uh, particularly in sexually reproducing organisms, um, and uh, this could be from inheriting two copies of a mutation that disables the gene for coding it, um, if it doesn't function, the whole thing comes crashing down. There's no such thing as a half-cell cycle. Um, And so, again, we have this overwhelming evidence of amazing design in our cells. And again, um, if anyone liked to read up a fascinating article on this, uh, quite a few good references, it was in uh, Creation uh, magazine. And, of course, that was volume 41, number 4, 2019, uh, pages um, 16 to 18. So again, we have this overwhelming evidence of a that we of design in living systems, fundamentally in living systems. All living systems require this uh, process of cell the cell cycle. All living systems, and so. Um, this powerful evidence for a uh, creator God. So again, um, uh, of course, in my book, In Six Days, Why 50 Science Choose to Believe in uh, Creation, there's a couple of very interesting biochemistry articles, again, by PhD scientists uh, pointing out some of these important reasons why evolution cannot be responsible for the origin of life on earth. And again, if you go to creation.com, 
um, and just um, enter in six days the words I-N-S-I-X-D-A-Y-S into the search engine. Again, those chapters will come up uh, with all that data, with the references and so forth in the end too. Um, you've been listening to Faith and Science and again, if you'd like to re-listen to these programs, just Google 3ABN Australia or one word, .org.au and click on the listen button. I'm Dr John Ashton. Have a great day. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio. 